Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. And after you finish this episode, please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using to listen. In this episode, I spoke with Brian Ahern, Chief Influence Officer at Influence People, an international trainer, TEDx presenter, and consultant. He specializes in applying the science of influence in everyday business situations. Brian is one of only 20 individuals in the world who currently holds the Cialdini Method Certified Trainer designation, and he has a book called Influence People, Powerful Everyday Opportunities to Persuade that are Lasting and Ethical. So what does it mean to influence others? Brian and I discussed the science behind influencing other people, how to do that ethically, how to apply it when working with others, and the long-term benefits these techniques can add to a career. Here's what he had to say. Persuasion is all about influencing people. It's about changing people's behavior. And I always default to Aristotle's definition. Aristotle said that persuasion was the art of getting someone to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do if you didn't ask. And if you think about that, Jessica, it's a great definition because somebody's already doing what you want, you don't need to change their behavior. But if they're not, and that is the case quite often, then how we interact with those people will make all the difference between a yes and a no and them doing what we want. So I really, I don't subscribe to the idea that it's just about changing people's um, thinking. It really has to translate into behavior for it to have an impact. And some people might kind of associate that with, oh man, is that is that tricking people? Is that manipulating people? What would you say to people who have those concerns? Okay. Well, um, first of all, I would say if it weren't for the word manipulation, I would not be doing what I'm doing now with my career. Because when I came across Robert Cialdini's material, um, an individual I worked with was taking uh, a class for her MBA at Ohio State, and she saw a video of Robert Cialdini presenting at Stanford, and he talked about non-manipulative ways to get people to do things. So I watched the video, and the light bulb came on. I recognized the psychology was the underpinning of all sales. I appreciated the stance on, on ethics, and I also liked the fact that everything he did was rooted in science, social psychology. Well, sometime later, I got a marketing flyer from Stanford, and it said in the headline, bestseller, and then right underneath it, call it influence, persuasion, or even manipulation. And I just thought, wow, I can't believe they actually use that word in the title, because he was so clear about non-manipulative ways to get people to do things. So I, I guess I'll say the moral part of me felt like it needed to be addressed, so I emailed Stanford. And I basically said, I don't know anyone who wants to be manipulated, nor do I know anybody who's looking to become a good manipulator. The word cannot be helping your sales. I never heard from Stanford, but sometime later, my phone rang at work and it was Robert Cialdini's office. And a representative was calling to thank me on behalf of Dr. Cialdini. And she said, your email to Stanford is causing them to change the marketing of all our, our materials. And I thought, wow, that's, that's really cool. And uh, we ended up having a, a brief conversation. And then she said, you know, if your company's ever looking for a guest speaker, 
uh, Cialdini travels the world and, and talks about this topic. And I said, I sit next to the woman who books our speakers. Let me transfer you. And as fate would have it, Jessica, it was the summer of 2004, and he was in Columbus, Ohio, several times to address our agents. Now, that doesn't answer the question about what's the difference between manipulation and persuasion, but I want your listeners to know that's how strongly I feel about doing things the right way, non-manipulative, um, because nobody wants to be manipulated. When we talk about the difference between ethical influence or persuasion and manipulation, there's three criteria that you have to fulfill if you're going to be an ethical influencer. The first is you have to tell the truth. And not only do you tell the truth, you don't hide the truth. Uh, for example, Jessica, if you were looking to buy my home, and let's say there's a crack in the basement floor, if I have a rug over that because I'm down there and I don't tell you about that crack and you buy the house and then you move the rug and see the crack, you're not going to think of me as an honest person. And my saying, well, Jessica, you didn't ask, is not going to be defensible. So you tell the truth, but you don't hide the truth on things that you know will impact somebody's decision making. Second thing that we talk about is you only use psychology that is natural to the situation. So by that, I mean, um, if, there's, if something's not truly scarce, you don't say that it is. If everybody's not doing something, which is another principle of influence, then you don't claim that lots of people are doing something or you don't use flattery to get someone to like you. So you don't falsely use this psychology just because you know it will impact somebody's um, thinking. And then the third thing that has to happen is whatever you're proposing, however you're trying to influence that other person, what you're proposing needs to be good for them, not just good for you. So if I know that what I'm putting on the table could truly benefit you, and, and I am being honest in my communication, and I am using psychology that's natural to the situation, I can feel good about the fact that I am trying to influence your behavior. I am not manipulating you. Because if you go along with what I've shared, and it truly is in your best interest, you're going to be happy that I was able to communicate with you. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. And there might be people who think they love, they love what you've said so far, they've bought into it, but they're worried maybe that their personality is such that it might not take to, to some of these principles, kind of still if they're associating, you know, people have to be uh, really articulate or maybe really great at connecting with people to be able to do these things. Does it uh, differ depending on your personality type? Not really. Um, the personality type of the individual that you're trying to persuade, there are going to be certain principles that might be more effective. Um, and I talk about this in, in um, my upcoming book and some of my LinkedIn learning courses. Um, if I'm dealing with somebody who's like a driver personality, maybe a, a Steve Jobs type individual, um, that person may not respond so much to the principle of liking. In other words, they don't really care so much about being your friend or how much you like them. Bottom line for them is what can you do to, to help them? But then you might have other personality styles, uh, maybe an amiable individual who really wants to know you and wants you to form relationship with them. So when I talk about influence, it's really always about the other person, you know, um, understanding them and then using psychology that's natural to them and to that situation. Your listeners don't have to be some 
glad handing, back slapping, happy go lucky, I'm going to connect with every single person. I really think if you understand your personality type and you step back and you look at these principles and think about how you can use them in your communication, wherever you are on the spectrum of being persuasive, you can get much better. And I love that focus more shifted to the individuals that you're working with and interacting with, because I think it takes a lot of pressure off of you to feel like you might have to fit into this certain um, mode or, or personality type to be successful. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the thing about these principles that we teach, they're universal to all people around the world. Um, there's nobody who doesn't appreciate you liking them and may want to like you a little bit. Now, there again, there might be some people who, who really value that much more, but virtually everybody will respond to that. Virtually everybody responds to reciprocity, that if you do something that genuinely benefits or helps them, that they feel some sense of obligation to want to do something for you in return. So it's really about the individual learning what these principles are, and then beginning to look for the opportunities that are naturally available to bring them into their communication so that it becomes easier for that other person to see the merits of what they're offering. And when you're uh, working with people who are specifically looking to transition these skills into the workplace, are there certain scenarios or a lot of um, examples that you use uh, that really seem to work out best for people? I do. Uh, my, my book is chock full of examples. And I think one of the shortcomings of many of the books that people can read, they'll, they'll learn these really cool experiments and they'll see very clearly how this psychology can move more people to act in certain ways or to get people to say yes but a shortcoming in a lot of those books is the real world application. Okay, how do I take this interesting concept and actually put it into practice? And that's where the rubber meets the road. And the book that I wrote has examples. One on the extreme was how the company I used to work for saved $700,000 by utilizing the psychology behind sticky notes down to something as simple as an IT manager who had half a dozen people that he wanted to do something. And I shared a little bit of psychology with him and he was able to get everybody to do what he needed done. That's a big win for him, small win for the company, but the range of what we need to accomplish in any given day, some things are relatively small and some are huge. But if you understand how people think and behave, and you begin to bring that understanding into your communication, you will be more successful. Especially our um, CPAs, our members who work in public and are dealing with maybe a wide variety of clients and are often um, expressing or have to explain really complicated terms uh, that some people might not understand, concepts that they struggle with. Do you have any advice for our CPAs, our accountants, as they're working with their clients, trying to show them the best way, the things that they can best do for their business? Well, I think Einstein said it best when he said, make everything as simple as possible, but not simpler. <laughs> um, you, we, when we get expertise in certain areas, we can forget that other people don't possess that knowledge. Maybe they don't even possess a fraction of that knowledge. 
And so stepping back from a situation and thinking about what's the best way, how can I explain this so that they get it? And I'll give an example that um, my daughter, when she was little and we used to lay in bed and we would read at night, well, there had been um, a bad tornado in Iowa. And I said to her, I said, Abigail, did you see the tornado on the news? And she said, yes. And I said, um, those people who, if they have insurance with, with my company at the time, I said, those little kids will get their toys back and their houses are gonna get rebuilt and their cars are gonna get fixed. That's all an eight-year-old needed to know to understand, oh, that's what my dad does, that's insurance, right? Um, insurance is super complicated, but I thought about how would an eight-year-old understand it? And I really think that when you are somebody like a CPA and you have this wealth of knowledge about numbers and tax law and things like that, you have to step back and ask yourself, what would be the best way to communicate so that somebody's eyes would light up and they go, wow, that makes sense. And similarly, we have um, also a, a a large amount of members who are in industry. They are working um, probably with other CPAs, other people who share their knowledge. And when you mentioned earlier the example of maybe working with others on your team to get them to do something or see your way of things, is there an example you would say, which I think that a lot of people can relate to, you're trying to kind of sell something to maybe your superior, your manager or your boss's boss. How would you say people should go in thinking of uh, what they wanna do, how they can best persuade this person? Well, one great example is we always try to go in and tout the benefits of what's gonna go on. Wow, look at how much more we'll make or how much we'll save if we do ABC. And the reality is people are much more motivated by what they may lose. So I will give an example that I think everybody in, in your audience will, will understand. I do some work with uh, wealth advisors. And if a wealth advisor were to say, Jessica, given your age, your income, and how much longer you say you're going to work, if we can find a way for you to save just 1% more, by the time you retire, my calculations show you'll have an extra $150,000 in your retirement. Now, you'll be motivated by that because you didn't know that before. But the research shows that you'll be much more motivated if my approach is this. Jessica, given your age, your income, and how much longer you say you're going to work, if we don't find a way for you to save just 1% more, by the time you retire, you'll have lost $150,000 of your uh, savings. Now it's the same 150,000, right? I'm framing it in a way where it feels like it's yours. And if you don't take this action, you will lose it. And the research, in fact, there's a man named Daniel Kahneman. He won a Nobel prize for his work in this area. The research is clear that people are about two to two and a half times more motivated to uh, experience the very same thing as, or to avoid losing that thing as opposed to gaining it. So again, the 150,000, that's the given. That's, that's how much more you'll have if you are able to save that. But I would say framing it in terms of a loss will get more people to say yes. Now think about uh, working with a team or maybe pitching an idea to, to your manager or somebody above your manager. 
you want to think about how can I frame this in a way that the company recognizes by not taking the action I'm suggesting, we will be losing. Maybe we're going to continue to overpay. Maybe we're not going to have as much revenue, but we will be worse off by not taking this action. And Brian, so far you've listed a lot of great things that people should do, should consider when they're going about uh, persuading others. Are there any mistakes you hear of people making or you see and you think, oh man, this should definitely, you should stay away from this? Yeah, well, I, one mistake is they do go in and always try to tout the benefits, the gain rather than the loss. So that is one mistake. I think another big mistake when we talk about a principle called liking, which says it's easier for people to say yes to those they know and like. So for example, Jessica, I'm sure you have friends that if they were to call you up and say, hey, let's go to dinner, you're all over that because you like them. Uh, where a stranger, somebody you don't know, if they call and ask you, you would never in a million years go do that because you'd say, I don't even know you. I'm not gonna go out to, to dinner or movies or something. But um, the, this principle is not so much about me getting you to like me. And that's the mistake that people make. They try so hard to get others to like them that they come across sometimes desperate. But if you go into a situation with the mindset that says, how can I come to like this other person? And all the same psychology applies. The, the things that will make you like me will make me like you. For example, if we connect on something that we have in common, if we're Ohio State fans, or if we enjoyed horseback riding, or if we find something that we can connect on, you will naturally like me more. Or if I find things in you that are worthy of a compliment and I pay you those compliments, you'll like me more. You feel good about my interactions with you. But those very same things are always at work on me, causing me to like you. And that subtle shift when you go into a situation with a mindset, not of how can I get people to like me, but how can I come to like these people, takes all the pressure off of you to win them over. Because when people see that you really like and care for them, they very naturally open up to you. And um, I really think that's a game changer for most people. And if someone really wants to integrate this into the way they work, a lot of uh, how they interact with others, what would you say is the best way to go about doing that so it doesn't become, you know, maybe a series of, of one-offs of employing these techniques? Well, I think like anything, the first step is, is learning. And then the next step is, is working with that information to incorporate it because just knowing it in your head does not mean it translates into action. Uh, for example, there's probably not a person listening to this podcast who doesn't know some things they could do to live a healthier lifestyle. Maybe they realize they could cut out ice cream at night or they could go for walks over lunch. There's no shortage of things that they would probably intellectually know they could do, but then actually doing it is the difference maker. So just learning this information and then saying, oh, I know that, that doesn't mean that you practice it. So you need to then start looking for the opportunities to uh, put this into play every single day. And all it takes, though, is really a choice. Uh, for example, the next time your listeners go to some kind of networking event, to go in and think to themselves, my goal today is to meet some people and really get to know and like them. And I'm going to do that by 
asking questions and connecting on what we have in common. And when I notice something worthy of a compliment, I'm going to pay that compliment. That is a proactive approach to trying to build relationships. So each of these principles has to be, um, you have to begin to see your opportunities and then make a choice to put those into practice. And what would you say are the long-term benefits of integrating this into the way you work with others? I, I always say professional success and personal happiness because at the office, most people would agree it is critical for your success that you're able to get people to say yes to your initiatives and on board. I mean, you, you could have the best ideas in the world and if you cannot get people to say yes to those, it's for naught. So you've got to be able to take those, those things that you think are going to truly benefit your organization and communicate in a way that gets people to say yes. So long-term, professional success. And I also think personal happiness because when you go home and you're interacting with your spouse, significant other, your kids, maybe your neighbors, life tends to be a lot more peaceful and happy when those people more willingly say yes to you when your teenager doesn't resist the things that you need them to do, or maybe you don't have friction with your spouse because you're choosing to communicate in a way that science clearly says is, makes it easier for people to say yes to you. Thank you to Brian for taking the time to tell us more about the science of influencing others. If you're interested and wanna learn more, you can check out Brian's book called Influence People, Powerful Everyday Opportunities to Persuade that are Lasting and Ethical, which was named one of the top 100 influence books of all time by Book Authority. What did you think of the episode? You can let me know at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O, at ohiocpa.com. Please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using. We love to hear your feedback. And as always, thank you for listening.